Next week is the end of Acts for us. And so um, as we approach the end of it, let's learn what we can from God, this portion of God's word. Acts 28, verses 1 through 10. And Luke is writing this. It's God's word. He says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they'd waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And when Paul, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for this portion of scripture, for this text. Thank you for this moment in time where we get to be here and look at your word together and think about it and interact with it. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence with us as this takes place. So, Lord, we pray for us now as we interact with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, probably the first thing I need to say is there's no theological phrase or biblical thing called the Maltese fallacy. Uh, That's something I coined because I love the movie so much. And I said, okay, um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but let's see, Maltese falcon, 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 falcon. And the Maltese fallacy seemed to make uh, sense. So that's where that comes from. So I'm not uh, following in the steps of theological giants or anything, but the Maltese people did have a fallacy. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, The story so far, where we pick this up, is Paul has been promised by God two occasions, one promise and one reminder of the promise, that he will be able to declare the thing that matters the most in the greatest capital of the world at that time. Paul said, God, do not fear. You will get to Rome, and you will get to tell people about Jesus there. We, two weeks ago, we were in the, in the text, and we saw this great shipwreck. And lives uh, that you would think would have been lost were not lost. And they were all delivered. And they shipwrecked. They landed on this island called Malta. And they're there. Um, one thing, it, the ESV talks about the native people. Uh, some translations say different things. The word is uh, uh, barbaros. It's uh, uh, translated in some of the older Texas barbarians, 
Uh, it doesn't mean barbarians. It's not a put down of one people over another. That's just a word that they use to talk about the non-Greek-speaking world. And so uh, these were people of, of great intellect. These were people who uh, uh, were not uh, primitives or any, in any way, shape, or form. They were just people who didn't speak the Greek language. It was a different world, and they were there on that island. Probably had seen a lot of ships come through and people come through uh, uh, with the various trade routes. But there they were, and they landed. And 276 people, prisoners, crew, soldiers, people, obviously at least two traveling with uh, prisoners. Maybe the others were, were just traveling along with the prisoners to Rome. But there were that many people, and they all made it to land. And there they were with this big bonfire because the weather was cold and, and wet and, and uh, the hospitality there of the people. And Paul pitched in. He was trusted at this point uh, well enough to, to go gather the wood. And he's gathering the wood, and, and all of a sudden this viper, this serpent attaches itself to his arm and uh, jumping out of the sticks. You're gathering the sticks and you hear stories of people uh, out in the woods and something startles you and then you've startled it first probably and, it, it, and you see it and there it was and, and everybody looked and they said, all right, he's going to die. He's going to die. He obviously should have drowned, but he can't outrun karma. He can't outrun God. And they watched for him to die. And the ones who saw it, think of the buzz and think as they kept their eye on him and nothing happened. He shook that thing off and continued to function. He spent his time on the island after they thought he was a god. And one of the leaders, uh, Publius, Publius, uh, who was the translation of the word, he was like the first selectman. He was the first on the island. He was the boss. And he took in probably not all 276 of them, but obviously it was Luke and Paul and, and Aristarchus and maybe some others that were there. Maybe there was an elite group or, or, or maybe the ship's captain had told him about how Paul had helped uh, by communicating God's word uh, of safety to them. And, and for whatever reason, Paul was taken into this group and shown great hospitality. And this man, even though he was a first selectman, uh, everybody's got problems. This one had a father who was dying. And God used Paul to come and pray and heal him. And the whole island uh, brought people, and people were healed uh, through Paul's prayer and Paul's ministry. And they get ready to get back on the ship. The, the, the storm's gone. The season is ripe for travel. They get their repairs. Maybe other ships stopped. Who knows how they worked it. But when these people left, they loaded them down with provision. Because remember, they'd thrown all their provision overboard to try to stay alive. And it was a good ending to this incident on Malta. What do we learn from this? Kind of a, it's a cool story. I, I always liked it as a kid. You like, boy, you like stories about snakes and, and things like that. And, and, and there he shook that snake off. And, and I, I think I even had a Bible story book where, where I got to see a picture of, of that incident happening. Uh, four observations about the text this morning and a conclusion. And I hope we listen and learn uh, from these. And, and there's, there's a reason why God included this in the Bible. Um, 
wanted to just say the Maltese people had a similar belief system to people of today. Yeah, I can say the Maltese fallacy, but I can say the human fallacy. Shouldn't be surprising to us. Uh, There's no real new belief systems. If you dig far enough and you look in history, it it repeats itself. And, And human beings being what they are, sinful, fallen human beings being who we are. We come up with things because we have to explain who's God and what's going on. And this uh, Ecclesiastes, by the way, tells us this. It says, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. It's Ecclesiastes 1.9. So they wouldn't have called it what we call it, but we call it karma. Instant karma is going to get you, right? Karma. Buddhism and Hinduism say your actions will determine what happens in the next life. That's a, the official karma line. What you do now defines what you come back as. But our informal, everyday use of the word, like that woman who, uh, with the parade, when I prayed for those people, uh, she didn't like a, a previous verdict in Wisconsin. She says, boy, it didn't take long for that bad vibes and for karma to come back on those people, almost celebrating all those dead ones, uh, which was terrible. And she lost her job and her political party for almost gloating about that. But it was a karma belief and a karma thing that she was uh, saying she believed in. Our informal use of that uh, is that there's a force created by a person's actions that cause good or bad things to happen to that person. And that is more common than we like to think. And even in ourselves, if we're not careful, we start thinking about things like that. Uh, Do good things happen on this earth to good people? And bad things on this earth happen to bad people because of the goodness and the badness? Well... Starting with the next life, we say, yeah, our actions on this earth, what you do on this earth does determine your next life. Not in the way, maybe, not in the way at all that the Buddhists and Hindus would say, but the Bible says what you do here determines what happens there in eternity. Uh, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. There is a next life. The Bible clearly says that. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. This is Jesus wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says, uh, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Clearly, Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is saying things that happen here affect what's going to happen in eternity there. Acts 16.31 They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So there is an understanding of of an afterlife and us here on earth making decisions that affect 
our status in the afterlife. We know that in this life it often happens that people who are good people, good things happen to. We've seen it with our own eyes. Uh, and here's a Bible verse. Uh, here's a good one. If, if, if you're writing a thank you card and you say, I, wanna, I want to uh, thank somebody for something that they've done, and, and as a Christian I want to put a little testimony in there, I want to just, just cement this thing in God's word, uh, here's, a great, here's a great verse. You've probably heard it. I hadn't until I was in college, though. So, so, and I grew up with the Bible all over the place in our house. So maybe you haven't heard this one. Think about this. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. I believe the old King James puts it this way, there's one who scatters and yet increases, is, is that phrase, uh, the, the way it was properly translated in the King James. This was the way it was properly translated in the ESV. Uh, that sounds a little like karma, doesn't it, at Scripture? Uh, listen to this one, Malachi 3, 10 and 11. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is God talking. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke uh, the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, There are some, some scriptural indications that if we just isolated them, if that was our only verse in scripture, that's what we would think is uh, uh, we would have more of a quote-unquote karma type of belief. We know that in this life it often happens that people who do what is wrong are revisited with similar actions. What did Jesus say? Peter, put away your sword. Because if you live by the sword, you will what? Die by the sword. In the book of Esther, Haman, wicked Haman, made these gallows for his archenemy, the godly Mordecai, to hang on. Who ended up hanging on those gallows? Haman himself and his sons. Proverbs 26, 27. This is God's word, remember. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. Uh, There's a picture for you. And so if all we were locked into was this world, we could even say, do good so good will happen, do bad so bad bad won't happen. But then we also see stories of people who were godly, who had nothing but suffering. Look at Hebrews 11 sometime, the faith chapter, and look at the quote-unquote, worldly fortunes of those who had faith. On the one hand, there's Abraham, the richest person in the world. On the other hand, there's people that were hiding out and they were sawn in two and they were uh, hiding in trees and they were, they were nothing and said the world wasn't even worthy of them. And they, they were nameless except God knew their name. And they were good and bad things did happen on this earth. So we have to look at something higher and bigger. But what I want to say is just those 
wonderful people, those likable people, those hospitable people from Malta, when they saw the snake fasten itself to Paul, and they said, okay, that's the murderer. And our, our understanding of God, and there's whole discussions of who their God would have been and the God of justice and all of that, those things, that, that's an interesting thing. But they said, God or fate will let, he, he thought he escaped it, but he's not going to escape. He must be a really bad guy. He must be a murderer. Karma. And I would just say this. Don't let anyone's karma run over your dogma. It's supposed to be a joke. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Shaking your heads. Um, we have truth. We, there is a dogma, and dogma is good. One guy laughed. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Um, uh, we have something that we understand, some truth, some dogma, some absolute given facts. And we know that God is the strong one. We know that God is the right one. And we do know that it doesn't always work out in this earthly karma thing that the Maltese fallacy was and that our own fallacy is. Respect what the Bible has to say about God's blessing those who give. Respect what God has to say about how so many times things backfire. But understand there's a bigger, greater picture. And it's not always as it seems. Something bad happens to someone, uh, don't automatically say God's punishing and judging him. Uh, look what happened to Job's friends. A little bit of knowledge of God mixed in with this karma stuff. And at the very end, God said, you guys better be glad. I'm going to let Job offer sacrifices for you and pray for you. And that's what's going to spare you because he's the right one and you're the wrong one for misapplying this idea of karma and mixing it up with the idea of God's sovereignty. It doesn't always work the way that karma says it works. Psalm 10, you find the psalmist begging for God to even things up. In, in Psalm 10 and, and, and in various psalms, uh, maybe some more famous ones than that one, but in that one, he's just saying, God, the wicked are getting away with it and the righteous are being pursued and persecuted. What's going on, God? Don't we even look at that in our own lives and see that and say that? Scan through the, the news or click through, through the news and you see what these people are doing, what these people are doing, what they seem to have and how, how godly people are trying to just struggle to make ends meet and there's no justice. Jesus himself, as he was talking to people, said it doesn't always work the way you think it does. This idea of karma is not really real. Luke 13, 1 through 5. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he ripped one from the headlines. He said, Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Understand that this wrong thinking, this fallacy in, in thinking that the Maltese people had is our own. 
to think that good things happen to good people and bad happen to bad, and that's justice. So it's common, but it's wrong. Second observation from the text is this, that just as happened to Paul, people's opinions about you can fluctuate wildly and in a short period of time. They went from thinking he was a murderer and sitting there watching the death that they knew he deserved to saying he was a god, all in the matter of what, an hour or or, or less, however long it took them to realize he wasn't going to die from this serpent. Like the Maltese people with Paul, people's opinions will fluctuate when it comes to you, Christian, and how will you deal with it? Remember earlier in Acts, uh, Paul goes walking in, and they think he's a god at first. And they ended up stoning him and leaving him for dead. In that case, opinions just fluctuated, started out one way and went the other way. I think if I had my choice, I'd rather have people think I'm a murderer and then turn around and end up thinking I'm a god than the other way around. But uh, it can happen. Happened to Jesus. Magnificent crowds, even the week before the crucifixion. And they went from saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and throwing the palm branches down to being there saying, crucify him, crucify him. What makes us think it can't happen to us. In church history, Christians have been up and they've been down in various settings. Uh, We can't get too worked up about whether Christianity is looked on and and, and biblical Christians, true Christians, are going to be in favor or not in favor in the world. Don't get so bent out of shape. Just accept. It it rises and falls in history. And where are you in history? Well, 300 years, if God hasn't come back yet, somebody will write a history book, and then they will know where you are in history. You'll be in heaven, and it won't matter anyway. Okay? It can happen to you thought of a friend of mine way back in my past, way back. A friend whose wife at the time lauded him for wanting to go to church and take the family to church. And boy, she praised him and she was going to follow him as, as her Christian uh, husband and, and the one who was just taking the lead. But then when times got hard in their life and she got angry at him for something, she put it in, in his face and mocked him for being the Christian who wanted to take the family to church. And with even, even in his own family, in his own house, somebody trying to live for the Lord, praised, criticized for the very same thing, happens in this fallen earth. What do you do then? You don't live for the opinions of people, fickle people. You don't play to the crowd. You live your life for the one true God who saved you. And that's whose praise, that's whose approval, that's whose encouragement you look for. You live your life for the God who said to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You live for the God who, with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. You understand that Jesus said about God, who's not going to have one opinion of you one hour and one the next and one the other and one the next, that that God, Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
You live for that God. You live your life as a Christian in this earth, in this point in history where you get to be born. You live knowing that there's an eternity in heaven and you get to be with that God forever. And you don't worry about the people. We have so much pressure, community pressure. We do live, I, I believe that, that guy that wrote that book, and I'm trying to think of the name of it again, Rod Dreer was the guy's name, and he, he did a lot of Souls and Eats and stuff, but he talked about the soft totalitarianism that's there today, and it's there. And there is a conform or else mentality. Uh, if it's godly, conform. If it's not, who cares? We live our life for God. God will never mistake you for a God and fall down and worship you. God knows who's God and he knows who's not. And God's not going to call you a murderer then call you a God. God's also not surprised that you are as guilty as the next murderer sinner and knows what you deserve. He knows what price was paid by Jesus on the cross for us and our murderous hearts. God's not fooled one way or the other. I know, I've got to get some new stories. Some of you have been, it's like, I've got to find a new church. I'm tired of the pastor's stories. But there was a time, about 30 years ago or so, we had a daughter and we had some Easter eggs. And, oh, Sarah was thrilled with the Easter egg hunt. She was probably two years old. And the whole idea of hiding eggs. And so she chases us out of the room to hide Easter eggs so we can look for the eggs. And Paul and I come in, and she was not a very good egg hider. On the bed, on the dresser, on the rug. And Paul and I are like, do you see any eggs? No, I don't see. Where's the eggs? And, oh, she's throwing. Uh, application. You think you can hide your sins like my daughter hid Easter eggs? Can you hide your sins from God anyway? He's not fooled. He's not saying, oh, that's the murderer. I missed him. I should have drowned him out there in the ocean, but I'll get him now with that snake. No, he knows what we are. And there was a death in that case. It was a death of the perfect Lamb of God on our behalf. But he's not turning around and calling you a God now that he's saved you. You have a wonderful relationship with God that, that, that's there. As you just live your life, you don't have to worry about his opinion of you changing. Man, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have saved him. If I'd have known what he was going to do, man, uh, which angel vetted him? No. God saved you. That's the one to live for. That's whose opinion counts. God knows exactly who you are and never has for one second had buyer's remorse. No buyer's remorse. God saved you. God loved you. When you repented and placed your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity comes into your heart to save you, uh, that's a done deal, and God never says, boy, I got a bad deal on that one. He says, that's that woman I love. Hey, how's her place coming up here in heaven? Preparing a place for her. She's going to be here with me forever. He loves you. 
What do you do? Don't be enamored by your good press. Don't despair over your bad press. You just press on. Your adult children may reject everything you've tried to teach them. Pray that it's temporary in their lives. And don't let it affect the way you live out your Christian faith that God has given you. Regarding Christ the Shepherd Church, same way. There may be favor for this church. There may be disfavor from the world, from the community. Doesn't matter. Audience of one, God. Third observation, which is kind of like similar to the second. (laughs) Whatever's going on in Malta, our job as Christians remains the same. Paul was serving Paul was looking out for the others. He was gathering wood. He was trying to help uh, join in the hospitality. He was doing his, his fair share in the, in, in, the, in the earth, and he was gathering the wood. Uh, as a Christian, he could have said, hey, I know I'm going to Rome. God's not going to let me down. Now, he, he pitched in in his world. He did in his neighborhood what he, he should have been doing. He was gathering the wood. Paul visited the sick and prayed, and God used him to bring about healing. He just carried on as a Christian on Malta. I wrote, and I guess I was thinking about Paul visiting that man with the dysentery and and, uh, the dying. What did it say about him? He was sick with fever. Paul loves the unlovely because he knew himself to be the unlovely. We love the unlovely because we know ourselves to be the unlovely. And yet God reached down and loved us. Alta said last week, we receive the broken, the guilty, and we love them and we pray with them. And we let God use us and use Hopeline to do his healing, saving work in their lives. Not from a position of betterness, but from a position of understanding who we are. We say we are so loved by God and that's a shocker. But it's true. God let us gather the firewood if that's what's needed to help warm these prisoners up. God let us, if we're able, to do ministries of mercy and you put us in a position uh, to visit a, a man and minister to him. Let us do what we can do even physically to meet the needs praying as we go. And finally, last observation. This was just one instant. Remember this. This was not the story of Paul's entire life. This was Paul on Malta for a period, a percentage of his life. Your life is a graph. Uh, You've got a series of these vignettes in your own life and, and situations, and we're all going through different stages. Malta is just a snapshot on his way. And our lives play out over a wide variety of scenes, don't they? You can't go back and and redo 20 or 30 years ago. You can't sit around and mope over that and say, I could have made a big impact. No, you live now. Uh, you're, You're on Malta now. And when you're on Malta, you do what you're supposed to do on Malta as a Christian. 
If you're a young parent now, you do what a young parent does as a Christian, the best you can, and listen to us older ones who, who would like to go back in time and, and, and have, a, have a mulligan. If you're an empty nester, you say, what does an empty nester do as a Christian? If you're knocking on heaven's door, you say, what is somebody who's uh, just, a, just a short time away from heaven? How do I live as a Christian? If you're a child, you say, how do I live as a child as a Christian? Boy, wouldn't we all love to go back and be eight or nine years old having a church and people who loved us and, 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 and to know a little bit more and, and, and to redo and, and live for God all the way through. If you're a kid and you're a Christian kid, hey, you'd be a Christian kid then. You do with the snapshot of where you're at. Paul was on Malta. It wasn't time to parse the Old Testament. It wasn't time for the Mars Hill sermon. It was time to gather the wood, to receive the hospitality, to pray, and do what God placed in front of him there. Whatever we do, wherever we're at, it's one more step on the way to heaven. And you, whatever you will one day call this particular stage in your life, however you'll refer to this stage in your life, uh, you've got a job to do in this stage. You're working through it right now on your way to heaven. Your destination. Don't get too attached if it's a good phase because it may not earthly last forever. Look at it as a, as a picture of heaven. If it's really good right now in your life, say, wow, everything's, the bills are paid, all that stuff I mentioned last week, that old Paul Overstreet song. Uh, if it's all good right now and seems good, say, thank you, God. Well, if it's, if it's so good right now, it's going to be great in heaven. Wow, this is a picture. And don't despair if it's a bad phase because it won't last forever. Do what that old World War II leader said, if you're going through hell, just keep going because you as a Christian are going through this hell on your way to heaven. As a church, Christ the Shepherd Church, uh, there's good times, there's bad times in, in, in churches. And then there's great times. Man, I feel like these are such great times. If I could hit a button and freeze time right now looking at you and loving you like I love you, I would hit a button and just say, God, keep this time. and Just keep bringing some people in, but let's just love and let's just see what God's doing. It seems just good. Changes come. Things happen. <laughs> Abishek's gone. I was joking with him at Thanksgiving uh, and said, I'm praying that he loses his job so he doesn't have to move. And he went, what? And I said, I'm just kidding you. I'm not doing that. I'm thinking, but we don't get to freeze this time. But Tina said, I want to come back every Thanksgiving. I want to come back to this church. She says, I know the pastor said, uh, she was telling around the table, she said, I know the pastor said there'll be a good church waiting for us up there, but I, I want to come back every other week to this church. I'm like, you can't drive from Boston every other week to this church. This is a snapshot. This is a picture of heaven. We're going to get to heaven. And then and nobody moves and nobody leaves and, and nobody sins against each other and there aren't uh, bad times. There, there's there's good times and the best times. 
we don't know how it's going to go in culture. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if our freedoms, if, if, there, if, if, if our the religious liberty that God's granted us, the freedom of speech, the right to assemble, uh, that's been wonderful, that's made this the best place on, uh, on this planet for 250 years, to be able to, we don't know if it's going to go the way of, of other countries in this world where governments have taken over and said, hey, uh, we're God now. You're not, God's not God. And rewrite your Bibles or burn your Bibles. We don't know if it's going to go that way. It could, it, could, it could be saved from the brink. We don't know. But if it does go that way, thank God for a snapshot and a picture in time that you got to live. I think a lot of us might be just kicking ourselves if we did lose our, our right to assemble and worship God and, 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 and hear the word and, and live for the word. A lot of us will be kicking ourselves saying, I didn't take advantage of it when I was there. You live in a place and you never see anything. And Paul and I lived, we were married, we lived, what, eight, I don't know how many years, 18 years in Pensacola. I said, oops, we're moving. We better go see the Blue Angels. <laughs> Went down to the Blue Angels the last week before we moved, even though they performed twice a year down there and people came from all over to see them, but we just lived there, so we were just the natives. Um, uh, maybe love what you have and, and, and appreciate what you have. We don't know how long we get it. But we do know something's coming called heaven. And we're getting there. There's a song by the Water Boys uh, where, where uh, Mike Scott sings, We're tumbling through the years, higher bound. We're tumbling through the years, higher bound. Application, conclusion. Back to Jesus. Jesus lauded and Jesus rejected. Jesus who is eternal. Jesus who left glory. Jesus who for a snapshot entered time and that 30-something years, uh, 33 years roughly, that he lived entering time. The God of the universe who created time, who set it all up for 24-7 and 60 seconds and months and years and, and, and arranged everything. He said, I'm going to go into time. And he was here for a snapshot. And what did he do? He did what his father wanted him to do. And he obeyed perfectly. The Bible says he learned obedience. And he went to that cross because that's what he came to do. And he did that hard thing. And he bore the wrath of God the Father on himself. Uh, bore the wrath in his own body on the tree, as Scripture says. And he did what he was to do for the salvation of us. So that we could tumble through the years higher bound and do what we get to do. We're wrapping it up right now, but I, I put an appeal in to those of you who do not know Jesus. And I will say this, if you're not a Christian, and you go, what do you mean I'm a, I'm a Christian? I'm in church, aren't I? Uh, you can be a, a very religious non-Christian. There's no time like the present to say, I want to be a Christian. I want to be forgiven. I repent. That's what I'm going to do with this moment in time that I'm given. And I place my faith in Jesus' work for me at Calvary. And I've run up a pretty big tab of sins. And if Jesus says he's going to pick up the tab, <laughs> I can't pay with anything. I'm, I'm, I'm threadbare. Jesus, pick up the tab for me. Save me. And that's what we've done who are Christians.
and we get to just live and revel in the time we get. Let's pray. God, thank you for this incident in Paul's life. Thank you for the shipwreck. Thank you for the island. Thank you for the Maltese people and the hospitality. Thank you for the observant ones who watched and saw the snake. Thank you for uh, correcting their theology a little bit. And what we can only hope and, and wish, we don't know what, what happened ultimately, but we would love it.